Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we break down the biggest question that we get all the time, which is how do I turn my portfolio into income? Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, bud. Good to see you. And right now, not only is it good to see you, but it's good to be seen. We officially started putting some episodes back up on YouTube. So we now do have a YouTube channel. We're going to link it. So if you're an audio person that has been struggling to keep up with us on audio and you would rather see us, it's going to be on the interwebs. And you know what I think that will help? The people that ask which of us is which. I think based on our voices, there's a lot of people that, that don't know us apart. And now you can see us and figure out who's Dan and who's Ross. The other thing you can see, which we laugh about every time we talk about putting videos up on YouTube, is Ross's amazing background. He looks like he's in a professional setting. He's got the check your balances colors in tile blocks behind him. It looks like I'm in a comfortable jail cell with someone who allowed me to have an acoustic guitar. It's like (laughs) the worst background in the history of the world. It's my home office. It's comfortable working here, but it does not look good on video. We're going to keep on working on it, Dan. We're going to find some cool stuff to put behind you at some point and make sure. Or we'll just turn it into a very comical situation where we just keep making it worse. I also think that would be interesting if we keep trying to make it look like you're in a worse and worse situation in your background. That can happen pretty naturally. I've just got to let my dog into the room. But I promise you, I'm not a hostage. I'm free to leave this room if I wanted to. It just looks ridiculous. Well, we appreciate it. If anybody checks us out on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe to that channel, whatever you want to do there. That really helps us. We'd love to build an audience and meet people wherever they are. And that's part of our strategy. So we're trying to go multi-format now. Yeah, we've got an Instagram. We're pretending we're cool. We'll populate it one day with photos. At some point, we'll put something on Instagram that is not just a silly thin meme. That being said, that is not our topic today. We are going all the way back into the archives to episode two to rehash a topic that I think we gave a little bit of attention to. And it was really one of our first ideas to talk about, obviously, being that early in our our series. But in my mind, it's important. It comes up a lot. It's part of our practice. And it is one of the key reasons that people reach out to a financial planner or an investment advisor, in my experience, which is how do I turn my portfolio into income? How do I take this wealth that I've accumulated, the assets that I've built, if I'm getting close to having financial freedom, if I'm at the point where I can flip the switch and say, I'm working by choice, or I'm choosing not to work is probably even the more specific reason in this case, how do you do it? And the mechanics of that is something that we seem to talk about all the time. Yeah. I mean... Understandably, that's a tricky thing to do. You've spent decades just being told to put money into your retirement accounts. There are a lot of really nice ways to do that on an automatic basis through payroll deductions into a 401k. Now you retire and you need to go the other way. No one teaches you how to do that. And it's not always very intuitive. 
Well, and there's multiple schools of thought, and we're going to get into, I think, the two most common ones that we talk about. But to be clear, you should start doing whatever you're going to do probably four to five years in advance of actually flipping the switch. And so, you know, if you get to the retirement finish line and you haven't had this thought yet, I think you're a little bit behind the game. And that doesn't mean that you can't do it as long as the assets are still in a spot where you can make the transition into retirement. I think that's totally fine. So you don't need to panic if you're in this situation and you're like, you know, going to pull the trigger by the end of the year and retire. But in my mind, this is really a five years out preparation that you start to glide yourself into that finish line. Maybe we could even call it the starting line because you're starting a brand new chapter. But that's when I start kind of preparing. I think of that as the retirement red zone, that five years before retirement on how do you start preparing for those cash flow needs? The question I always get asked by people entering that red zone, the term we'll use, that I've used forever. I don't know who introduced that, but I think that's that's industry standard at this point, is people come to me and say, all right, I'm getting close. I'm going to need income. I need to reposition my money into dividend-paying stocks so I can generate that income. I think that's probably the most common request that I get from people looking to get their portfolio retirement ready. Yeah. And we're going to take a shot at this in just a moment here. But I want to just level set for a moment. If I won the lottery tomorrow and ended up with 10 to $100 million in my bank... I would probably choose to live on dividends. So the same thing that we're getting ready to take a shot at and say, well, this isn't probably how most people should be doing it. If I had really, really well capitalized myself in a way where I had way more money than I was going to need and I wanted absolute simplicity, I think that's what I would do too. And that's a function of two things. Number one, the simplicity. Number two, the longevity of it. So I'm young enough that if I were trying to build a portfolio to live on from now through as long as I get to be on this planet, I would want that longevity. That would be very, very important to me at my age that this thing is built to go essentially forever. Most people, that's not necessarily the situation they're in. And the main reason, the main arguments that we're going to have against doing this are a couple things. Number one, is you are likely underspending your resources. And I think that's one of the biggest ones. So even a high dividend portfolio, in most cases, I think is going to be in the 3 to 4% range. Now, could you get something that's got leverage in it? Could you play in the high-yield REIT space or business development company space or MLPs, which is Master Limited Partnerships? Yes. You could go to some really high-yielding products, and maybe that should be part of your portfolio. Should your entire portfolio be comprised of things that have a 5 or a 6% yield? Probably not. And so when we think about that you could safely withdraw 4 to 5% of your portfolio annually, your investment universe of what's going to yield that on a dividend basis, very, very limited. So if you're going to play in the general investing universe, where the S&P 500 has a yield right now of I didn't even look it up, Dan, but it's probably what, one six, one seven. Yeah, 1.53% as of while we're recording this. Smoking hot, that 1.5% yield. If you can't live on that 1.5% yield, it means you're going to stretch into some other product or you are going to vastly underspend 
your available resources. That's really the key for me. Number two is the dividends aren't guaranteed. And so if I've got guaranteed costs or things that are as close to guaranteed costs to keep my lights on, I don't necessarily want to align voluntary dollars to that, right? A company doesn't have to pay a dividend. None of them do. Now, many of them, they like that dividend aristocrat status. That may be how management has just chosen to reward shareholders, but companies don't have to do that. And there's lots of companies that don't. So those tend to be my key objections on why this isn't what I want to do. Let's also think about when a company would scale back or stop paying a dividend, right? In a time of crisis. We saw a lot of that a couple of years ago. So when cash flow for these businesses were uncertain or they're experiencing an economic pinch, that's where they're going to cut back dividends, try to maintain the resources within the company to allow them to continue to survive. And probably stock prices are dropping at the same time because of the same economic conditions. That would be a worst case scenario for a retiree living off of dividends because now not only has your income stream been reduced, but your principal has also fallen, which is going to require you to pull money from that principal at the worst possible time. Correct. So the things that are likely to lead to a dividend cut are also likely to lead to your balances being down. Right. So you could end up in that situation where your income is being dropped and you've got no recourse or no safe place to pull that money from. That's not a good situation to be in. What's the alternative, Dan? What's the way that we prefer to do this and set people up so that they've got predictable cash flow? And I think that that I'm going to be real specific on that language because that's really what we're talking about here. You're not trying to control for your income. You're trying to control for your cash flow. And those are different in retirement. You can pull assets that are not quote unquote income. That's what you've built it for. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about where the return in a portfolio comes from. So we talked about dividends, companies returning cash or even bonds returning cash to you. That's one piece, but there's also price appreciation. The value of the things you own can go up as well. Now, when we're thinking about retirement cash flow planning, we don't necessarily care which piece our return comes from as long as it's coming in the long run. So the first thing to understand is sometimes we might be pulling from quote unquote principal to fund your retirement lifestyle and that's okay. That's why you put the money there. That's item number one. Now the second piece is trying to match your resources with the timing of when you need it. So instead of this dividend strategy, what we like to do is create a carve-out strategy to identify the dollars you're going to need over the short term, protect them, make sure that they're certain and there for you over the next one, two, three years, up to five years, just to provide that certainty and that comfort, and let the rest of it sit and grow. And that's where asset allocation really becomes important. Yeah. So in the function of how we actually do this for people, there's kind of a couple steps. The first step is projecting how much you're going to need. So when we do a financial plan, when we're building a financial plan, what we're really trying to do is look at what is the likely resource that you're going to need to pull? Do you need 20 grand to supplement your income? Do you need 100 grand because that's what you're living on? What is the number, right? And so when we start and we kind of beat people up on their budget, it has nothing to do with us judging a budget. It has everything to do with us having a clear and truthful understanding of what it costs to keep your lifestyle running. 
And for the purposes of a portfolio allocation, we care about what you need from the portfolio. So when we get your lifestyle cost, we're going to back out the income that you're getting from other sources. Let's say you have a pension or social security. We're going to subtract that out from your total lifestyle expense to determine what we need from your portfolio to provide for your retirement lifestyle. Then we're going to look at what those next handful of years. Now, my preferred number is five years. Five years is enough time that 90 plus percent of the time the market is going to be positive over five years, over any rolling five-year window. So that's taking some of that uncertainty, some of that bite out of a market cycle. And you know, if we think that stocks are positive three out of four years, which is about what they are, normally about 75% of the time, in a five-year window, we should have several opportunities to rebalance and replenish that sort of window, right? And so we're picking a time frame that is very, very likely you would take a strong bet that the market is going to be positive over that time frame and that that gives you plenty of time, right? Very simply, if we go back and look at 2008 and you had to wait for the S&P 500 to recover, you're talking about 2012. That was about a five-year window to go from peak through the trough back to even where you wouldn't really have wanted to sell stocks in that trough if you didn't have to. That's what we're trying to create is enough time for you to wait out the bloody periods. And that's one of the worst bloody periods that we can come up with in recent history, unless you go all the way back to, I mean, quite frankly, probably the the Great Depression. Yeah, absolutely. So what that's doing is creating a pool where you can provide basically the same kind of cash flow you were getting while you were working out of something that you don't need to think about for a couple of years. It's already been determined for you. That's your income pool. It works really well if you set up an automatic transfer to your bank account as if you were getting paid from yourself and your portfolio. And then you have your long-term assets behind that. That's the money that's going to provide the growth for you over the long run to make sure that your portfolio will last as long as you do. Exactly. And The other reason we like this, and we're kind of dancing around this issue, this means that you don't have to limit your investment universe, right? And the classic example, and I I always hate name dropping specific companies on our show, but I think of like Berkshire as the perfect example of an incredibly solid, stable business. You look, they've got something like a hundred plus billion dollars of cash on their balance sheet right now. They have never paid a dividend. They have said they're never going to pay a dividend. They do have share buybacks. So they are returning capital to shareholders. If you trust that they're good capital allocators, right? And you want to own that company, it can't fit into a retirement portfolio if you're expecting to live only on dividends. Why would you limit your investment universe to take a company like that out of it, right? So whether whether you're going to own it or not, but that's really the point is why limit yourself to only companies that are returning capital in this one very specific way? I love that you use that company as an example specifically because I think their actions speak to exactly what you're saying because I don't know who's familiar, but a lot of us know that the Berkshire A-class of share is very expensive. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars a share to own, which makes it very hard to keep in a retirement account because you cannot convert that easily to cash and still be an investor in Berkshire for the long run. So one of the reasons for creating a B-share class was to make it easier for retirees to own those shares and sell in smaller increments to help fund their lifestyle goals. So I think it's funny that you use them as an example of an investment that does not pay a dividend that might be something you consider holding 
because the Berkshire management team believes that very same thing and actually change the infrastructure of their company to support that. So when we unpack the mechanics of how we would actually do this for people, I tend to think of it as a laddering strategy. Now, we've talked about this product in different formats before. We're going to hit it one more time here. So when we think about where you put that money that you're going to need over the next five years, supposedly, I think probably a year of that for me is just pure cash. I would say maybe a year of that to two years is like some sort of treasury instrument. And then I think probably the next couple of years, I would allocate to some sort of safe investment grade bonds. So if we're looking at the bond market now, I think the case for why we would do it this way versus just pure dividends has gotten even stronger. We liked this a few years ago when bonds were yielding like 2%. Now you're getting five plus percent yields in an investment grade corporate. If you're willing to play in the high yield space, which I think is pretty scary right now because you are starting to see corporate defaults up a little bit, but you're talking about 8% yield to maturity on a high yield bond space. But let's stick with five. Your expected return on this safe portion of your portfolio is way higher today than it was even a few simple years ago. Yeah. And let's compare that to the one and a half that we referenced for the S&P 500 earlier. I mean, you're getting over three times the income in something like a government-issued bond than you would in the S&P 500. So having the flexibility to allocate towards different assets can actually boost your expected return over the long run just by being flexible. Now, the big objection I hear to this is, well, if I set up these bonds and I'm going to be taking that money out, I'm taking the principal out because when the bond matures and you're expecting that to be the money that you take out of there, yeah, that's that's really the plan is that that's why we call it a carve out, right? Think of it like taking a slice of cake out and expecting to eat that piece of cake. But the beauty is that you're replacing the cake behind it, right? That's really what we're hoping is that the rest of the cake that you leave, the part that you're not eating is growing back into a full cake, making this analogy kind of a silly one, but that's really the point of what's going on here is that, yeah, you are intending to and expecting to destroy that capital. Not destroy it. You're really expecting to to enjoy it, right? You're not destroying it. You're enjoying it. Now we're really doubling down on cake with consuming and enjoying, but yeah, (laughs) infinite cake sounds amazing to me. Stick with me, people. (laughs) We've got this, right? But yeah, you're taking that slice out, consuming it, and then the rest of it continues to get bigger predictably over the time frame that we're talking about. Now, is there a situation where this doesn't work, where stock prices are down and we can't replenish your carve out through appreciated assets that were... And yeah, there is a situation feasibly... Right? We said it's 90 plus percent of the time that stocks are positive over five years. So that means there is a window of time in which stocks are negative over the same period. And maybe you do have to sell some assets, not at great prices. Now, do I think that they're going to be in the middle of a wild depression? Hopefully not. But you've created enough certainty and you've also given yourself enough runway if we're talking about five years that you should be able to adjust your plan and some of the other levers that you've got to pull on through that time period. And it is predictably 
likely to work in that situation. There's nobody can tell you with certainty. If you need certainty, you have to be in annuities and then you're taking other risks. Right. And which isn't to say that annuities aren't right for some people. If you really care about that income and that's key for you, maybe you do look at an annuity and you have that baseline pension coming in month after month and you know what you can spend without the fluctuation in the market, but you do lose that asset to give you the flexibility for spending beyond that income. So the nice thing about a portfolio-based solution is expenses don't come predictably over your lifetime either. So being able to tap into a resource like a portfolio versus having to wait to save up from an annuity can be valuable. Right. The annuity is going to do a couple things. It's going to give you guaranteed cash flow. And so it's going to solve that one problem of the fear that what if my money doesn't do what I think it's going to do? Where it's going to put you at deep risk is in the inflation environment. I think we are all remembering clearly now what the bite of inflation can feel like. It, we're up at the grocery store. We're up at the gas pump. Life feels more expensive right now. So if you have fixed your payment and now 30 years from now, you're living on inflated dollars, but you have a, an investment that's really not going to keep up, I, I think that's the issue. Now, annuity salespeople will tell you that those instruments can keep up. I don't think that they can. I think that is a load of junk. Because in order to do that, the contract value, and, and I don't want to turn this into an annuity show, but the contract value has to surpass the initial investment in most cases. And that's got a headwind of both what you're taking out of it, plus a massive fee structure in most cases. It, it just doesn't work. I don't see the math working in a normal environment that people actually get really consistent raises. Some products might be built differently. There's a lot of stuff in the annuity space. But I don't think that is the way to protect yourself against inflation is through an annuity. But stocks can do that. They can protect you against inflation. Totally. I mean, that's exactly what they do, right? When prices go up, the, the companies that are selling things are the ones raising prices, right? So their revenues are going up too to accommodate those extra costs. So companies are living beings. So owning exposure to that is good for your portfolio in the long run. And it's really just risk management in the short run to make sure that you can cover your spending goals. I think more than anything else, behavior is key to a successful retirement spending strategy. Now, the last thing that I'll address here, because I do think that this is what we see very commonly. Everybody's situation is different, but this comes up a lot, which is investors that are choosing to retire before Social Security kicks in. And so what you end up in is kind of two phases. So I'm going I'm to finally approach like a hybrid strategy that might work for the right investors. If you're hearing these and you're going, yeah, I get it, but I just want to live on something that is super long-term and predictable. I would suggest that if you're going to retire before Social Security, you're going to likely have a very high draw rate for a few years and then transition once Social Security kicks in or once if you've got rental properties that you're getting ready to pay off, right? There's a bunch of things that could happen that basically boost income pretty late in life that really suppresses the portfolio withdrawal rate. And it's not uncommon for me to see that portfolio withdrawal rate go from four, five, six percent in the first handful of years of retirement down to two. I think that's very common, actually. If that's the situation you're in and you want to be a hybrid approach to this, I would say you do a carve out for that four, five, six percent period 
and then you switch to a dividend approach once you're kind of in this like terminal velocity state where you've got all these income streams on and your portfolio is doing less heavy lifting. That's the irony of all this. I think that's the most painful irony is right. Like when you want to spend the most money, when you're most mobile, when your enjoyment of the dollars is most important, that's when this is the hardest because you're putting all that stress on the portfolio up front with this like long-term faith that once all this crap is, is in the rear view mirror and all these income streams are on in my seventies and beyond, this is going to be pretty easy. So I do think that is a valid way. If you're, if you're hearing us going, yeah, I get it. But if that's your situation, I think you can consider a hybrid where you go carve out then dividends late. Yeah. I mean, you do have to have enough to have the luxury of doing that. That's the other ironic thing. Every time we do financial plans, it's like if you have enough money, it almost doesn't matter. Ross started with this, with the scenario of him winning a hundred million dollars and it being like, well, then you could do this easy thing. It's, you know, when you're in that gray area where planning becomes really important and you need to make sure that you're resourced enough to be able to last as long as you do, because that's where it gets tricky. So I hope this discussion is helpful. You know, this is stuff that we talk about all the time. Some of the language in this discussion turns a little bit more into inside baseball, I think. And we're trying to keep it as friendly as possible because I think that these are mechanics that because we see them all the time, it's easy for Dan and I to picture what's going on here and how all these things interact. I think it's very, very new to most investors that are going through it for the first time. And I think that's what makes it so scary. I think that's what makes people very uncomfortable with this transition. And so I hope we can continue to do a good job at being helpful in this area and explaining it to people. Yeah, absolutely. And we welcome your questions or thoughts. If you've gone through an experience like this, send us an email at checkyourbalancesatoutlook.com. You can catch us at Instagram at checkyourbalances too. Slide into our DMs, do whatever you do over there. And send us pictures. If you're using your mug or your wine key, we love seeing people enjoying our swag too. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will catch you all next week on another episode.